past three weeks, we've looked at this theme of the always God. And uh, on Mother's Day, we kicked it off with the God who always sees, hears, and speaks. That made me think of mothers. They see everything, they hear everything, and they speak the right word at the right moment. God cares for you. That's what that message taught us. He's very aware of what's going on in your life, and he cares for you. Then a couple weeks ago, we looked at, uh, I looked at a sermon with you on seven ways that God always demonstrates his care for you, the things that he does. He redeems you. He forgives you. He helps you. He comforts you. All the things that God does for us. Those, those seven are in the book, by the way. You can read through different than what I shared, but there's seven chapters that deal with those things there. Then last week, we looked at the fact that God is always trustworthy, and I gave you five keys that will help you grow your trust in God, and you can go back and check that out. And today, I want us to look at this thought, God always remembers. I thought on Memorial Day, that'd be a pretty good thing to look at. Here is what God says in Numbers chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 to the people of Israel. When you arrive in your own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with the trumpets. Then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue from your enemies. Blow the trumpets in time of gladness too, sounding them at your annual festivals and at the beginning of each month. And blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and peace offerings. The trumpets will remind your God of his covenant with you. I think that's kind of said just a little bit tongue-in-cheek, like God's the one that needs to be reminded. But the point is, it's a reminder. And then he goes on to say, for I am the Lord your God. Now, this is a little bit deep, this first little thing I'm going to tell you right here. It's, it, it, it's the reality of life. There are a lot of things about God that go beyond human comprehension. He is much more vast and big than we are. And when people try to identify God as the big man in the sky or my good buddy or whatever, they really have no understanding of the vastness of God. The vastness of God, as it relates to us, is probably one of the best expressions is when the psalmist says, who is man that you are mindful of me? Like, Wow. God, you know me, you remember me. This is unbelievable. God does not have the human quality of forgetfulness. How many of you have lost something one time in your life that you spent days hunting for in the last week? How many of you have done that? Yes. Well, we kind of got a thing around here at the office. I don't know exactly, but I think we bought four or five of the little tiles. How many of you know what those are? You put on your keychain. And then when you lose them, you got a code or whatever, and it starts, starts beeping until you locate where they are. We've had people lose keys, and we've had people lose different things. And one of the most called-for parts of our church is, where is the lost and found? Because I put something down, I forgot it. So the word that, that's used here to describe describing God in this manner. It's kind of a big word. Those of you that, are, you're all out of school now already, so you can't use it till next fall. But it's anthropomorphism. Here's what that word means. It, it, if you think about it, it's fairly simple. How about morph? Anybody know what morph means? To change, to transform. The anthro means to, to take, take a human characteristic and apply it to God for our understanding. So God doesn't forget 
in the sense of forgetfulness. It's not that he needs to be remembered, but it's the reality that, that God has moments where he takes action on our behalf, and it appears from our position like, hey, he finally remembered But the reality is he has promised to never leave us, never forsake us. So when you're going through a difficult time, understand this. It is common. Everybody say common. Means happens to a lot of us. Uh, It is common to feel abandoned when going through a difficult time. That's common. When we're going through a hard time. Oh God, please help me. Where are you? Oh, God, why am I going through this? Oh, God, help me now. And we, we feel like in that, that moment of time, God has forgotten us, forsaken us, abandoned us. But God promises to never forsake us. And he will never forget you. But he will faithfully fulfill his word. Psalm 10.1, the psalm writer says this. David said this, Oh, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? David said that. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, said to the Corinthian church, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. Kind of find out these guys are more relatable than you maybe give them credit for. Jesus, the ultimate example for us on the cross. We looked at this back in April. In Matthew 27, he makes this piercing question that says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, that's probably the easiest one for us to examine a little bit because even Jesus felt abandoned, but how many of you know he wasn't abandoned? He was fulfilling the purpose of God. Sometimes people ask questions. I remember hearing it several times following 9-11. Where was God while this was all going on? Why didn't he do this or why didn't he do that? And I think the best answer I heard could be summarized with these words. On 9-11, I'll tell you where God was. He was there holding the hurting, caring for the broken. You see, it's interesting how it's easy for us to have this dissected view of life. We don't want God to to be so in control of us that we're nothing but robots. We like our freedom and our choice. But yet when our choices lead us to a bad place, we want to go, God, why did you let that happen? God remembers what's going on. He doesn't need to be reminded in the way we understand being reminded. Occasionally, Janet will call me or text me and I'm getting ready to head home and she'll say, don't forget to go by the store and pick up a gallon of milk. And I always say, I had not forgotten I was getting ready to go there right now. (laughs) Then I turn my car around from our driveway and go back to the (laughs) store. God's not up in heaven waiting for the details. He's not up in heaven going, oh, now, I seem like I was supposed to do something today. Now, I think it's a little bit 
ironic and humorous when God says, yeah, blow those trumpets to remind me that we have a covenant. (laughs) What he's really saying is, you need to do it so you remember what's going on, but you can call it on me if you want to. God remembers, considers, and acts on your behalf. Check this out. He remembers every detail of every situation for every person. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. He is with you. Let me give you some examples real quick. God remembered Noah in a time of great difficulty. Genesis 8, 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. Now, it rained for 40 days and night, and then there was an extended period after that that the rain had to to, to uh, rescind and go back to be back on dry ground. Of course, the first place to be dry was the mountains. The higher you are, the less water has to go down for you to find a place to land. And he got on a mountaintop there, but he was in an incredible, challenging situation. And I, I hope you see the phrase there, and I hope you underline it, circle it, and put a star by it, and put an exclamation point. Noah was in the middle of an incredibly challenging situation, one created by his obedience. Not not disobedience. I said that right. I hope you heard it. See, we have this mindset sometimes, well, I'm doing everything right, so why am I having a problem? Because sometimes in the midst of those problems, God is still working in a way that will bring you to a higher level of ability and accomplishment. I don't know about everyone in the room, and I don't know if if we're honest enough to go down to the deepest recess of our heart and evaluate this, but I think think there's a good chance most of us, if not all of us, if we could design our life out, we would look for luxury, indulgence, and ease. And we'd probably all be dead by 25. So sometimes God's leading, and through our obedience, we come into difficult places. And we read about God as he remembered in the the Old Testament and include the thought of intervention, action. Here's what it's saying. It's not that just God remembered in the sense of, oh, I had forgotten about him. From human perspective, it appeared that way, but here's what it means. God acted on Noah's behalf. God brought a solution for his problem. It wasn't immediate, but it began to take place. See, I think there's a lot of things God could do that he doesn't do for our benefit. All of us wish that God would answer our prayers immediately, instantaneously. God, fix it now. Well, if he did that, our impatience would become unbearable. There's so many things God's working on me and you about that that, that sometimes we're not really even aware of, but we need to know that we can trust him at all times. He will never forget us, and he will intervene. He will act on your behalf. God remembered Abraham. In the time of judgment, Genesis chapter 19. So it was that when God destroyed the seas of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow uh, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Okay, so the first one, we see a guy getting, going through difficult times because he obeyed. This is another interesting story in Genesis 19. Lot is rescued because of Abraham. 
Listen, it matters who you hang out with. The influence they have in your life is a big deal. Lot was rescued because of Abraham, and this is a statement of God's promise and a statement of God's character. God remembered Rachel and Hannah in a time of sorrow. One's in Genesis, one's in 1 Samuel. Here are their stories. Genesis chapter 30, the God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. Both of them was what the Old Testament would call, what the Bible would call barren. They were unable to have children back in that day. Not right, not good, but a woman's value was pretty much attached to can they produce offspring for the man. That's a big, big part of it. So therefore, if you could not bear children, your value back in that era was incredibly diminished. I'm glad that we've come to a place in our life today that we see that men and women both have equal value. And they should not be viewed on the basis of their gender. Notwithstanding that gender there are two. But there's not a better, worse. It's individualized to a large degree. But generally speaking is they're very compatible. And that was God's initial plan. He said to Adam, you're not doing too well by yourself there, pal. Let me make someone who is compatible with you so that there will be completion. Now, ultimate completion comes through God. But God in his infinite wisdom has created men and women to help complete each other in their pursuit of God. These ladies couldn't have children, but God remembered Rachel and allowed her to have children. 1 Samuel 1 the end of 19, the rest of 20 says, The Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I ask the Lord for him. Both of these ladies suffered greatly because they couldn't have children, but God healed them both, and they became mothers. God remembered Ephraim, the fourth one, despite rebellion, and he, he, despite rebellion because Ephraim repented and received God's forgiveness. Jeremiah 31, it's a chapter that speaks of Israel and it speaks of God's uh, desire for them. And here's what it says midway through the chapter. Go back and read the rest of it later. But in 17, it says, There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. How many of you can just take that as a promise from God? Restoration for your children. I have heard Ephraim grieving, you have disciplined me, and, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. I, I think that's one of the most funny phrases in the Bible, by the way. I don't know what an untrained calf looks like or acts like, but I could imagine it's not very smart. And he says, but you have now brought me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. That means an action of grief and sorrow. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore this disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my, my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, this is God speaking now, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Ephraim was the largest tribe of Israel and represents Israel as a whole. 
And if you've read any of the Old Testament ever, especially the historical books, Israel, understatement of the day, frequently rebelled against God. They had a little problem with that. Matter of fact, the book of Judges is this cyclical book. I think it's seven times in Judges that you see them not doing well, God punishing them, getting so bad that they cry out to God in their anguish, oh God, please deliver us. Then God would send a, a judge or deliver, not judge with the gavel, but judge like a military captain and would send a new person to come and bring deliverance to them. They would get delivered. They would start to prosper. And in their prosperity, they would rebel again. And the whole cycle goes through seven times in the book of Judges. How many of you want to learn lessons after, after one time, not seven? Israel frequently rebelled against God. But there's a verse in Ezekiel that makes me think of this. I'm not quoting it to you, but this is the thought of it. God takes no pleasure in condemning the guilty, but delights in reconciliation, restoration, and renewal. The picture in the New Testament of the, the loving father. I'm not going to call it the prodigal son. It's the loving father. That's what the parable is. It's about God. It's about no matter what you do, he's looking for you. He's wanting to love you. He's wanting to restore you. He wants to pour out goodness upon you. And the devil will keep telling you over and over again, God will never remember you. You've done too much wrong. Read through the history of the Old Testament and see Israel continually rebelling all the way back, all the way back. Moses goes on his first little weekend getaway, goes up in the mountains, meets with God, comes back with the Ten Commandments. When he gets back down there, there's a golden calf. I mean, that'd be like last year, me doing that sabbatical thing. I come back and y'all doing all kind of crazy stuff in here. And I'm going, what happened? And when he asked his brother, what is all this about? What's this golden calf? And why are y'all dancing around and doing all this stupid stuff? Here's what his brother said. You need to be more creative than this. You need to be more thoughtful with your answers. When you're put in a rough spot, just don't say the first thing that comes to your mind. If it's dumb. Because his brother Aaron says to him, I don't know. We just got a bunch of gold together, threw it in the fire, and this thing popped out. Seriously? That's the best you got? But listen, through all that rebellion, here's the point I want you to get. Through all that rebellion, God still loved. God was still gracious. And God forgives everyone who repents. Let me say that phrase again. Let that get in your spirit because this is the warfare spiritually that we deal with. The devil is the accuser of the saints. So all of the time the devil's telling you, you're wrong, you're lousy, you're no good, you have no value. Look at how bad you blew it. You're pathetic. Sound familiar at all? You know why he does that? Because that's his job. And he's pretty good at it. But you need to remember who he is. He is a liar. He's actually the father of all lies. It's kind of a big statement, isn't it? Jesus is the one that put it out there. He's the father of all lies. So when he tells you you're worthless, what does that really mean? This is like that logic test you used to have to take. 
the tribe from this place says this, and they're all truth tellers, and the tribe from, y'all remember those things? Okay, easy question here. We're not getting all that part, not all the logic of it, but if the devil is the liar, and he's the father of all lies, and he tells you you're worthless, what does that really mean? You're worth a lot. If he tells you you're a failure, what does that really mean? You have success. If he tells you you're forgotten, (laughs) it means God has loved you so much that he engraved your name on the palm of his hand. My goodness, we ought to shout that God delights in reconciliation, in restoration, and renewal. Fifth thing, God remembers us in our time of weakness. Psalm 103 Verse 14 says this, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Now, now let me make a real clear point for you. It's there in the notes. I want you to get this. God's action because of our weakness is provision, not excuse making. Say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just weak. Okay, then get some help. I'm not tall enough to reach up there, so I threw a ball up there to knock it down so I could catch it, and I just destroyed a valuable vase. Okay, there was a better plan. Just saying, get a ladder. God knows that we're weak. That does not excuse our weakness. It just helps us to know that we can't stand in our own strength. We will fail. But listen, God has the solution, not just the evaluation of the problem. Don't make excuses. Receive the provision of God. God is our sustainer. God is our refuge. He is our guide. He is our savior. He is our helper. He is our intercessor. He is our supply. God knows that we are weak, so he makes up the difference. Pastor Kevin said it earlier. Let me repeat it to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Don't try to hide your weakness from God. Acknowledge it and receive his provision. James understood this. It's kind of nice in the way he said I probably would have made it a little more blunt. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, that's a nice way to say it, isn't it? I don't know what I would have said, but it would probably come out more like this. Those of you who are dumb as a board, you know who you are. Those of you who don't have a clue, you know who you are. That's how I would have said it. It's really what James is saying. He's just a little nicer. If any of you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives generously. We come in this room and there's so many emotions that we fight through. We're weak. We're fearful. We're overwhelmed. And we can run around in a circle and 
just act crazy or we can link up with God grab hold of him and say I receive your provision for my life and I know that everything that I need is found in you because you remember me one of the most tender stories of scripture happens in one of the most cruel settings Jesus is on the cross he's being mocked insulted he has the power to stop it all but yet because of his love for you and for me he keeps going down this path he's being ridiculed by everyone around finally there's one lone voice that cries out Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom the answer of Jesus is incredible we looked at this back in April so I'm not going to take a lot of time with this but Jesus said remember you know I've got more than that today you will be with me in the kingdom you're not forgotten you're not forsaken you're not alone God remembers. It doesn't mean that he had forgotten before, but it means that he begins to take action. I want to pray for you here today. I don't know what action you need God to take for you. I listed seven or eight. I could have listed 50. Maybe you're here today and you've not put your faith in Christ. Please hear me. There is not anything greater you could do today than make that decision to, to call on Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've been going down this, this path of difficulty and it seems to never end. It seems like there's no hope. Listen to me. God has not forgotten you. Let faith rise. Let trust rise. Receive his provision. Life is tough. It's hard. But God is faithful. Would you bow your heads all across the room? If you're here today, is one question, one question only. It can apply however it needs to apply. But if you're here today and say, hey, Pastor Bruce, I need God's intervention in my life. Might be for salvation, might be for healing, might be for a problem you're facing, might be for, for whatever the Lord will speak to your heart that you know of. Can I encourage in these moments right now, God delights in helping you. Will you delight in receiving his provision? If you're here today and say, Pastor, I need God's help in my life, his intervention, his action. Would you simply raise your hand right now all across the room and I'm going to pray for you all together. Yes, yes, yes. How many others? Yes, yes. Would you all stand with me? 
I don't want you to come to the front quite yet. I do want the prayer team, if you'll come and be here gathered in the front. Pastor Russell's got a song he's going to lead us in. It's a song of affirmation and hope. He's going to lead it one time through, and then I'm going to give the invitation to come and find a place of prayer. Listen. There's a story in the New Testament. It's kind of a weird story, to be honest. There was a thought that when the waters got stirred up, first one in got healed. And Jesus goes to this guy, and he's like, uh, how come you've been here all these years? You never got healed. He said, there's no one to help me. When the water gets stirred up, 12 people get in before I do, and I just, I don't get anything. And Jesus goes on to heal the man. But here's the part of the story that I want to apply for us today. There was an urgency of faith that prompted people to take an action that seemed ridiculous. And honestly, most scholars can't even really decide if it was very godly or not. Let me tell you, what we're talking about here today is very biblical, very godly. James says, if there are any of you, and I'm going to summarize, he says four or five things here, that have a problem, that have a need, join together with others in faith and believe for that need to be met. I want you to hear something today. God knows you. God sees you, and he acts on your behalf. Pastor.